those watching us live stream, we welcome you, we honor you, we bless you, we miss you, Elevate family, those of you that can't be here with us, but we are super glad that you are here, and we believe that God has a special word for you this morning, as he does for all of y'all that are here. So it's Father's Day, and there is no greater father than our Heavenly Father. Can we agree with that? One of you? There's no greater father than our Heavenly Father. The Bible tells us a lot of reasons why Jesus came, okay? So there's a list of why Jesus came. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. Jesus came to declare the kingdom and inbreak the kingdom. The kingdom is at hand. Jesus came to heal the oppressed. (laughs) My daughter's sending me videos of my grandson. (laughs) Jesus came to restore right relationship and right identity to all who would call upon him. But the number one reason why Jesus came was to reveal the Father. John says this, John chapter 14, verse, uh, verse 9. He says to Philip, have I been with you this long and don't you still not know me, Philip? I've been with you all these years. We've walked together. You've seen me. You've known me. I am the Father of one. If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. So Jesus' mission was to come into the world and to show mankind who the Father is. John chapter 16, Jesus said, I came forth from the Father and I have come into the world. So I have come forth from the Father to show you the Father and now I'm returning to the Father. When Jesus would talk about the fatherhood of God, our Father who is in heaven in Matthew chapter 6, when he gave that Teaching, and he gave that prayer. He gave that sermon. It's not just a prayer. That's found in a sermon, right? So Jesus was was a teacher. He was a rabbi. And when he said, "Our Father who is in heaven," that is an unheard of concept in that ancient world. They believed the Jews believed in God as a divine being, but to think of him as a father was be would be just completely unheard of. It's actually one of the reasons why they crucified Jesus. They said, "You call God Father." And because you call God Father, you make yourself equal with God. That's again, that's the ancient culture of the, of the family. The son and the children were considered extensions of the father. So a, a, a man would have a child and that, that son would be an extension of him. A man would have a daughter and that daughter would be an extension of him. There's a whole idea of fatherhood in the Old Testament. And in God's economy as well. And so when Jesus was revealing the Father to them, that was like completely mind-bending to them. They had never heard of such a concept, even though it was in the Old Testament. God mentioned himself as Father several times, but they couldn't get themselves around that. They saw God as this legalistic person, this divine being, this exalted one that was literally unapproachable. That's how they viewed God. A lot of people today view God that way. A lot of Christians view him that way. He's this divine being that's unapproachable, holy and solemn. No, he's your Father. His idea is to, to, for you to know Him as your Father and for you to know in Him to relate to you as Father and you to relate to Him as sons and daughters. That is the context. We talk about this a lot here that in the Scripture, you know, there's different callings and there's different levels of discipleship. And, and the first one is understanding that you're servants, right? That's the, first re- that's the first revelation most people come to is that I'm a servant of Christ, but there's higher revelation than that. And others that come to the understanding, I'm a friend of God. Me and God are friends. The Lord and I, we, we, we relate to each other. We're friends now. There's you know, equality, or not just equality, but there's peace between me and God. We're friends. 
But the upward and the highest calling that man is called to is sons and daughters. We are called to be a son and a daughter before our Father in Christ. That's what we are. That's who we are. That's how He sees you. That's not how you see yourself, but that's how He sees you. And our job is to pursue that identity. We're supposed to pursue who we are in Christ. That's We're supposed to live as sons and as daughters. The word father in the Bible means leader. That's why when it says fatherless, it, what, it, what the Bible is saying is leaderless. I mean, look, on, look around. We have a fatherless generation. Fatherless generation. Completely leaderless. No clue. No direction. Making it up as they go along. The whole idea of a father was to lead. That's what it means. Leader. It means caregiver. The woman is the nurturer and the influencer. The father is the leader and the overall caregiver of the home. This is God's economy as well. It also means one who brings forth. This is interesting. That's why Jesus is called the only begotten of the Father, which is the one that means brought forth. That's where we get the word begotten. So Jesus came from the Father. He was always with the Father. He is eternally and now and forever part of the Godhead, Father, Son, and Spirit. But the Father sent forth the Son to reveal Him to us. And so what does Jesus bring forth in us? He brings forth your potential. When you begin to know the Lord, He begins to bring forth your potential. Jesus sees you as someone you never see yourself as being. He sees you as much higher than you could ever possibly imagine yourself to be. You're a daughter. You're a son. You're an overcomer. You're a conqueror. Have you looked in the mirror lately? (laughs) You don't feel that way. You don't look that way. But it doesn't matter. That's who you are. That's how He sees you. God calls you who you are long before you get there. His vision towards you is so high. So high. I've understood God's heart by raising kids. The good, the bad, and the ugly. Right? I'm convinced Adam was a teenager. I've said this to my wife several times. Because when teenagers come around, they, they basically do what they want. They don't, ex- they don't even acknowledge that the parent exists. <laughs> That's basically what Adam did. And you don't exist. I'm going to do what I want kind of thing. We learn a lot from our kids that way. And one of the things that happens is if you can understand God's heart, and if you understand God's heart, things begin to make sense to you. Scriptures begin to make sense to you. When you can see beyond the text and you can see the heart behind the text, you'll begin to understand it. The Bible is written, as particularly in the Old Testament, in a very flat, generic way. It comes across almost very generic. You know, it comes across very flat, almost authoritative to the point where there's no emotion or feeling behind it. But when you understand the heart behind what's being said, the scripture comes alive to you. Jeremiah 2, I was called down when that's an easy one. My people do not come to me days without number. Now let's just look at that in the surface of the text. My people don't come to me days without number. And now let's look at it from the heart of God. When you were, sets it up like this. God says, when you first knew me, Your love for me was sacred. Israel was holiness to me. You were special to me. But now my people do not come to me days without number. Now if you read that, man, there was a time when you were special to me. There was a time when you were holy. And now you don't come to me days without number. That's how we say it. But put it from what, now reflect that through the heart of God. A God who who loves his children. A father who loves his children. You were beautiful to me. Your love was so special to me at one time, and now you don't even come to me anymore. 
changes the entire context of the verses, changes the entire atmosphere of the word. We are called to know the heart of our Father, and when we read His Word, we have to reflect His Word through the heart of our God. When He is saying something, people have a hard time with the Old Testament in particular because they feel like God is harsh, or God is judgmental, or God is... When they say, well, God's an angry God. His anger... Okay, this is a really important one, and I think if you're a mom and a dad, you're really going to identify with this. When your child, when you set your child up for success and you put them on a path, and most parents are like this, immense sacrifices, crazy sacrifices over a period of decades, sacrifices in every way to set that child up to succeed, to go further than you could have ever gone sacrificing the things to put them in a position, a school, a a direction, whatever it may be. And then that child, no matter what position you put them in, continually lowers themselves. You have set them on high and told them, and then they keep lowering themselves. Does that make you happy? Having given so much to put them in a position of success, and yet watching your child continually diminish themselves and continually lowering themselves, and you not having any ability to change that. Does that make you happy? Is that, is that we, we put that on the bumper sticker? Is that, that one that we put on a bumper sticker? Is that a Facebook post? No, it's not. Is that an Instagram post? No, it's not. This is exactly how God feels. So when you're understanding how God is relating to people in the Old Testament, His anger towards Israel was all... If you can always understand this, when God is speaking in those terms, or when you hear that tone, He's not angry at them because of their actions. He's angry at them because they continually lowered themselves. That's where his his anger wasn't going. You guys are smoking, drinking, and chewing, and hanging out with those that are doing. I've told you this a hundred times. Stop smoking, drinking, and chewing. That's not what he was angry about. It wasn't their actions. It was their willfulness to lower themselves. He'd given them a fountain of living water, and they were digging holes in the ground and drinking muddy water. And he said, "Is that what I've told you to do? I'm the fountain of living water. That you abandon me and you dig out cisterns and you drink water out of the dirt." Did God put them in the position to drink water out of the dirt? Did God call them to drink water out of the dirt? Yet they continually lowered themselves. He's the God of all gods, the King of glory. There's nothing that is withheld from them. Yet they continually lowered themselves and served false idols. They served the gods of the culture. And God would reach a point that, listen, listen. Okay, ladies, I want you guys, the ladies are going to really identify with this. If you're with a guy and he can't make up his mind whether he wants to be with you, and he wants to keep dating around, and he can't make a commitment to you, at, at some point, you're going to say, either I'm the one, or go find the one that is. At some point. And that is exactly what the Lord does. Stop playing games with me. Either I am the one, go serve the gods of the culture if you want to. But if I am the one, then give up all these other gods and serve me. That's exactly what he says. It's not an issue of I'm the only one and I'm so arrogant. He said, if your love for me is as you say, then demonstrate it with fidelity. And if your love is not for me as you say, then go your way. He says it over and over again. That's what he told Israel. Go find them. Call upon the gods of the culture. Let them answer you. So he told them. 
You see it in Joshua. If God's God, serve Him. But if He's not, then go serve the gods of your ancestors. And if you don't want to serve the gods of your ancestors, then go serve the gods of the culture. Go think like they think. Go live like they live. Go be as they are. And see where it gets you. But if I am who you say I am, then demonstrate it with fidelity. (laughs) Jesus says, why do you call me Lord and not do what I say? Why do you play this game with me? We play God like he's an idiot. He's, He's infinitely smarter than you. Infinitely. Yet we play him like he like we can manipulate him in some way. Jesus said, if I'm who you say I am, then do what I say. If I'm the love of your life, then demonstrate it. If there I am God and there is no other, then demonstrate it. Give up everything else and serve me. Is that not the call of the gospel? Is it not? If anyone wants to come after me, they must deny themselves, deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Everything that matters to you must no longer matter to you and I must be your one and only. And you know what happened? What happened? 350 people around Jesus at that time and they all left. Jesus had a pretty big church going at that time. He had an entourage. And he said, I want to test the level of commitment here. I want to see where the, if these, if, where the faith of these people are. Do they really want me or are they just in this thing for the fish and chips? They just want the fish and chips. They just want the miracles. They just want the signs and the wonders. They want the bread and the fishes. Is that what they want? Or am I really the one? If I'm the one, then deny everything else and follow me. And they said, this is a hard saying. Who can keep it? This guy's out of his mind. I'm supposed to give up everything else and follow him. Who does he think he is? He's God. He doesn't hold you back. You know what he did? He looked at Peter too. He said, you guys want to go too? He didn't beg anybody to stay with him. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? He didn't go, oh, what did I do wrong? Can I please you? You know, was the air too cold? Did the chair not vibrate at the right speed? You know? He didn't do any of that. He just said, you want to leave? Peter, you, you, you want to go? You, you're standing right next to me, you and all the 12 here. I know everybody left, but do you want to go? And he said, where are you going to go, Lord? You have the words of eternal life. We placate our gospel down to the lowest common denominator. We've lowered the standard of the believer down to the We have allowed the believer to lower themselves to a standard that is unacceptable in God's eyes. Unacceptable. The call is higher, not lower. The call is up, not down. Well, we're supposed to be servants, so the, it's a race to the bottom. Uh, that's implied, dude. If, you don't, if we, we don't need a teaching on servitude. We need a teaching on identity. We sacrifice everything on the altar of humility, thinking it's, we're being humble. The Scripture never speaks of the universal fatherhood of mankind. Never. We're all God's children. No, we are not. Neither in the old nor in the, two, in the new does the Bible ever implicate or indicate that all are God's children. Nowhere. So then who are? As many as receive Christ, to those are given the power to be the sons and daughters. You're not in Jesus. You're not a son and a daughter. You're a creation, but you're not a son and a daughter. But if you are in Christ, then you're a son and a daughter. To those who believe in His name, not born of blood or the will of man, but born of the will of God. All can come to him and all can become sons and daughters when they come to him. But not all are. And the beauty of sons and daughters, you have an inheritance. You have a home. You're not an orphan anymore. 
You have a Father who loves you and absolutely adores you and will care for you in season and out. A lot of people are going to go down during this time. But the believer will not if they hold their faith. The believer will not. We will go through. We will not go under. We will go over. I'm telling you now. I'm telling you. Who, Who told you you're going down? I mean, look around. There's collateral damage all around. You know? This seems like this unending cycle. When's this going to end? Who's in control of this? Who says when it stops? Who says when it keeps going? You know, they're talking about doing another shutdown. That's what some of these people are talking about. Like, have you lost your minds? Well, we've got to be safe. Okay, so we extinguish ourselves as a nation, in the, in the, you know, and I, this is so controversial. So controversial. The church is so divided in this hour, it's unbelievable. Unbelievable. I just did a three-week series on diversity to try to explain to people that we're not to be divided. We're to be united. Everybody's charged politically. Everybody's charged over coronavirus. Everybody's charged over the injustice in the streets. Everybody's on every different spectrum. And Christians, we're, not, we're, supposed, we're supposed to accept the view of another in favor of the kingdom. Jesus is our all in all. Your personal viewpoint means nothing. I hate to tell you that. Actually, I love to tell you that. Your personal viewpoint doesn't mean anything. America needs to hear, Christians in America need to hear that their personal viewpoint means nothing. Your personal preference doesn't mean a thing. Your personal point of view doesn't mean a thing. Well, I grew up and I went to Montessori school. And then everything, I went all through my school year and everybody always wanted to know my opinion. I'm going to tell you something. Jesus doesn't want to know your opinion. He's not asking. We're not called to give him our opinion. We're called to do what he says. And if he says unify, then we unify. We set aside our differences. We set aside our points of view and we unify. Period. Period. I like blue. She likes green. Well, then you dude, you better learn to like green. We need, to, we need to respect each other in favor of God. The, the, the weakness of the church in this hour is its division. It's unbelievable. Unbelievable the level of division. The light comes in and exposes fractured cracks that are already there. Already there. And really what it does is if there's division in the church, I'm going to tell you right now, if you're a Christian and you like to play divisive games and you're playing all these preferences and you can't sit in a place where other people disagree with you. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 3, you are not mature. So don't let's talk about maturity before we talk about anything else. We are, can, are we called to grow up? Can, can, can we just... Can, so if somebody's got to be the adult in the room, the Christian needs to be the adult in the room. Right? We're supposed to be the adults. The beauty of the kingdom is when we have a diversity of voices echoing Christ. The beauty of the kingdom is not when the church is an echo chamber for everybody's point of view, for one, one particular point of view. If there's an echo chamber, it's Jesus' point of view. No matter what our personal differences are, we bring them together when we echo his. That's what we have to be. That's what we're called to be. Yet we let the devil divide us. We let him. Unbelievable. Denominations are fracturing. 
That might be a good thing. But nonetheless, churches are over all of this stuff that's going on. Christ is the center, ladies and gentlemen. We are sons and daughters. Your opinion doesn't matter. That is so hard in America. But Facebook says my opinion matters. Instagram says my opinion matters. Karaoke generation. That's what we've become. Everybody gets to sing. That's right. Whether they're good or not, everybody's got a microphone. That can be good, but it can be bad. It can be incredibly disruptive. We need a unifying voice in the world today. And that unifying voice is Jesus' voice. Christ is the answer. He is. He loves us. Red, yellow, black, and white. We are precious in His sight. He doesn't care about your personal viewpoint. I'm telling you now. I'm telling you now. If there's something for you to crucify in your heart, some flesh you need to kill today, it's your personal viewpoint. He doesn't care about your opinion. You're entitled to your opinion, but Jesus really doesn't care about it. He doesn't. Oh, that's offensive. You mean Jesus doesn't care about what I think? Nope, not unless he's asking you. I'm going to tell you how the Lord works. He doesn't ask you anything until you've demonstrated obedience. This is a relational gospel. I'm going to tell you now. I, I commune with the Lord all the time, and we're back and forth. But you can't even reach that point where he's going to commune with you and discuss things with you until you've demonstrated basic obedience. And if you cannot demonstrate basic obedience, there is no communalness. He's not going to ask you anything because you cannot prove maturity. Do you ask a five-year-old, do you think I should drive on this side of the street or this side of the street? Do you think daddy should turn right or daddy should turn left? What do you think, five-year-old? Do you ask an infant child what you should do? Come on. That's not how it works. When my children become older, now all of a sudden there's a dialogue. Can I get a witness? Anybody here with children? When your children are older, you start having a dialogue with them because they've reached a level of maturity. They've demonstrated some level of maturity. We have 60-year-old Christians who are five years old, spiritually. Because they can't demonstrate basic obedience. It's a communal God. He's a loving God. My opinion matters to him because I've demonstrated faithfulness to him. He's seen it with me. I've been instant in season and out. Huh? When the pressure's been applied, I've stood. What do you want, an award? I don't want an award. I'm not looking for... The only reward is mine. My reward is Jesus. That's it. The only accolade I'm looking for is the one that comes from the king. I don't need anybody's accolades. I need the favor of God on my life. That's it. I need the acknowledgement of the one who sits above all. People's opinions are fickle. They change with the tide, man. Jesus did not commit himself to them because he knew what was in man's heart. Men's hearts are fickle. Change with the times. God is the only constant, ladies and gentlemen. And your position needs to be what he says. The only thing that matters is what he says. Are you faithful before the Lord? Then nothing else matters. And God, it's an amazing thing. As you begin to demonstrate faithfulness and your relationship grows with him, you'll understand that God begins to commune with you. And he begins to speak to you in a, in a way that you've never experienced before. And you know, he'll actually ask you, what do you want to do? What do you got in mind, Kevin? Well, this is what I have in mind, Lord. You know, okay, that's good. What do you need? I need this. Okay. You know, or he'll say things like, this is what I have in mind. He's like, that's good, but let's change this. Let's do that. It's a communal thing. 
But in that you never reach communalness until you demonstrate basic obedience. Everybody acts like that's, that's Again, we come back to this whole idea of children. Get the preschoolers together. What color do you think we should paint the walls? You know, do you think we should teach today? Do you think we should do this? Do you think we, we don't ask our children that? Why do you think God does? Same concept. We're to become integrated. We, by nature, are not children of God until we come to Christ. When we come to Christ, the Spirit of God comes into us, and we become integrated into the life of Christ by the Holy Spirit. You come to Jesus, you become born again, the Spirit of God comes into you, and the Bible says that now He is in us, and we are in Him. And because He is a son, we are a son or a daughter. It's the adopted, you become adopted. Because you are sons and daughters, here's Galatians, here's a verse. Because you're sons and daughters, God has sent His Spirit into our hearts. And because of that, because we're sons and daughters, the Spirit goes, Abba, Father. And we are no longer slaves. No longer slaves to sin. No longer slaves to circumstance. Yeah. I'm telling you what you are. I'm not telling you how you live. Heaven says you're not a slave to circumstance. So why do you? Heaven says you're not a slave to sin. So why do you? Just a thought. We're talking about the mind of Christ. We have to think as he thinks. We have to be as he says we are. I'm not a slave to my circumstance. You need to start confessing. I'm going through this. I'm not going to be a slave to this. If the world falls, I will not. I'm a son of the highest. If everything goes, God will resurrect it. I serve the God of the resurrection. Where's your faith? This is what we are. We're sons and daughters. We are no longer slaves. We become heirs to our Father's kingdom. What a beautiful thing. Huh? We're adopted into Christ. We become sons and daughters. And He could just leave us there, right? He could give us a room out on the back porch and say, that's where all my adopted children go. But He doesn't do that. He adopts you and gives you full rights of inheritance. Full rights of inheritance. Like, what does that mean? I don't know. But you are called to spend your lifetime pursuing that. You are called to pursue the inheritance that you have in Christ Jesus. Romans 8 says this, The Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Ready? And if we are children, then we are heirs. Well, I'm an heir, but I'm not like Jesus. Uh, if we are children, then we are heirs. And we are joint heirs with Christ. What God sets man on equal standing with himself? Who? Who does that? Jesus does that. Huh? You are joint heirs with Christ in equal status and standing before heaven. Full rights of inheritance. Full rights. You know, what I would challenge you is to learn that in this world. Or you'll be shocked by it in the world to come. Learn it. You need to start living like you're an heir. You need to start living like you're a son of the highest and a daughter of the highest. That's not humble. I didn't say there's nothing about humility here. This is the, the calling of God that is over the life of the believer. The head and not the tail, above only and not beneath. When you come before the Father and His sons and daughters are gathered in His holy assembly, that's what kings would do. Do you know kings would put on a show in the ancient world? The king would sit upon his throne and he would bring his wife out and he would bring his sons out and then all of the external children would surround him. His court would be filled with his sons and daughters. You don't think that's what Jesus is going to do? He's going to put his sons and daughters on parade. He's going to put his sons and daughters on display. 
You will stand before the court of a king. You better get ready for it because you will. Jesus is going to dole out inheritances. All y'all can leave yours in the field, but as for me and mine, I'm going after the harvest. I will, not, I will be like Caleb in that generation. God's going to be giving out inheritances, and well, I'm just going to be happy to get there. That's fine, then you just be happy to get there. I want the mountain. Because what you are given in that world is yours eternally. Eternally. Moth does not enter. Steve does not enter. Corruption does not take it away from you. It is yours and forever. This world is completely different. And what are we rewarded on? Based upon what you have done in his name. Your reward is not based upon what you do for a government, what you do for a culture, what you even do for your family. Your reward is based upon what you do in his name. Mm Mm-hmm. That'll change your thinking. That should change everything. That should make you reorient your business about everything for him. That should make you reorient your family and say everything for him. That should make you reorient your finances and say everything for him. Your time, when you understand that concept, everything becomes about Jesus and the eternalness of his reward. The only tears they say the Christian will cry is the tears of regret that they should have given more. There'll be no tears, but the tears of regret, they say, when you see what's truly, be, what's truly yours. Open your eyes. Do you not know that we shall judge angels? This is the level of authority we have. We're going to judge angels. What? What does that mean? I have no clue. I don't think anybody does. But we're going to judge angels. How much more should, do you have the right to judge the things that pertain to this life? We are an heir of this world and the one to come. Heirs in Christ, full established. Yet we allow the culture to diminish us. Yet we allow others to diminish us. Yet we allow the lives that we believe to diminish us. At some point, you're going to stop. either going to live that way or you're going to come to an understanding that you need to rise higher. And you need to rise to the level of your birth and stop lowering yourself. Beneath the standard that God has established for you as a daughter or as a son. He has called you to succeed. He has called you to prosper. He has called you to be an overcomer. Come on. With our identity and authority in the spirit, we are commanded to produce the will of God. So, okay, here's what our father does. It's Father's Day. Our father brings us to himself in Christ. Those that come, become. We come to Christ. We become sons and daughters adopted with full rights of inheritances, given his spirit. And with that spirit, say with me, we are commanded. Oh, come on. We are commanded to produce the will of our father. Yeah. You're not commanded to produce anybody else's will except the Lord's. It's his will. Jesus says this. What do you think? Man had two sons. See, what's happening here is the religious leaders are coming to Jesus and they're basically trying to make themselves look good and trying to, you know, posture and put themselves in a position. And Jesus says to these religious leaders, you are sons who do not do what your father says. And so he gives them this context. He says, a guy had two sons. He came to the first one and he says, go work in my vineyard. Now, whose work is he doing? He's doing his father's work. You get the picture? Go and do what I ask you to do. What does that mean? How do we relate to this? Use your family the way God says. Use your money the way God says. Use your business the way God says. Live your life the way God says. Push your business into the future. Push your family into the future. Push your finances into the future. Push your faith into the future. That's the will of our father. 
So when he says, work my vineyard, this is what it looks like. And the first one said, I'm not going. But afterward, he regretted it and he went. Then he comes to the second one. He says, hey, go work in my vineyard. And this one goes, no worries, Dad, I got you. But he didn't go. And he says, which one was the son? Which one was the son? The one who did what his father asked. You get that? Called and adopted. Full rights of inheritance. Empowered by his spirit with an upward calling to produce the will of our father. Oh, how the world would change if the church could get that concept. Oh, how the world would change if the believer could get that concept. Let's just keep it micro. How your life would change if you would get that concept. How the church would change. This church would change if we could get that concept. How the greater church could change if we could get that concept. How the world would change if the church would get that concept. How we would transform. Sonship and daughtership is revealed through the posture of honoring God and obedience. Sonship and daughtership is produced and validated before heaven by obeying our Father. In the basics and in the greater things. So let me put this in context. This is all I'm going to tell you. This is where we are. The Lord told me many times, my people's knowledge in these arenas is primitive. And so because I've realized that, I began to say, well, then if there's, if it's a, if there's a primitive language to this stuff, and there's a primitive understanding to this stuff, then give me the sophisticated language. And give me the because if it's primitive, there's got to be a higher level, right? And so what Christians are, here's the primitive language of obedience. Don't smoke, drink, or chew, or hang out with those that do. Primitive, acceptable, true. Yeah, we shouldn't smoke, drink, or chew, or hang out with those that do. We should live morally upright. And that's the conversation we continually have. We're just having this conversation on morality over and over again. At, some, at what point do we get the understanding that we need to be, we, we get it. We should be moral. Or we're not even having the conversation on morality in today's day and age. Or we talk about basic obedience. Radical five. Read your Bible, pray, commit and connect to church, financially give, and live on mission. Basic obedience. If you cannot operate in basic obedience, you will never go higher. Let's say it again. I want this to reinforce. If I cannot or if I will not operate in basic obedience, I will not go higher. There are no exceptions. The kingdom works in a manner and in a method. And it works in that manner and in that method. You don't make it up as you go along. You partner with the river. You understand that? You partner with the stream of God. Then, so that's the basic understanding. The higher understanding is when God actually starts to have a conversation with you about your destiny. But you're never going to get to the conversation about your destiny until you can demonstrate basic obedience. Do you know why? Because it's an upward calling. And so God's going to call you out and you're going to start doing it. But you have proven zero faithfulness. And so the inevitable heat of the day will come upon you because you're pursuing destiny. The inevitable losses will come at you because you're pursuing destiny. But you have not demonstrated faithfulness and your faith will faint in that day because you've proven nothing. That's why God will not put the weight of glory on many people because their character cannot sustain the weight that he really wants to put on their life. Just a thought. You start having conversations about destiny. Well, God's what's my destiny. Most Christians, this is the word that he says. Read your Bible. Oh, I know, Lord. Read my Bible. I know. 
I know. Well, have you done it? Pray. I know. I know. Pray. You want to pray? We have a prayer meeting every Thursday on Zoom, online. Join the party. You don't even have to pray. Just listen in. Pray. If that's all you can do, I mean, hey, do more. Do whatever you can do, but at least do that. Pray. Commit and connect to church. Well, I'm part of the great universal church. I like to drift from place to place. No, you're called to be a part of a local body and give yourself to it, period. Financially give. Oh, when I feel like it. Does that mean Christmas and Easter? Is that when I give? No, you give the full tithe. That's obedience. When a Christian gives the 10%, they've only reached the level of obedience. We want a badge. Oh, I'm a tither. Put my plaque on the wall. I've given the full 10% for the whole year. And we act like we're exceptional. No, you've just reached, you've just reached the basic level. Generous giver is the high calling. But if you cannot reach the level, Greg, I just call it out, man. You were going to give. Greg told me, he said, I'm believing God. I'm going to give $200,000 to this church this year. Do you understand that? Who's got the faith for that? Anybody else here got the faith for that? That says that's where I'm going? I'm believing God that this is what I'm going to do. I'm believing God that this is what he's going to use me for. And he's going to catapult my life. And I'm going to catapult. And through that catapult, his kingdom is going to grow. Who's got that faith? But you got to be faithful in the now. Well, when I get them two million, I'll give the 200,000. No, you won't. If you're not faithful with 10 bucks, you won't be faithful with 10 million. If you're not faithful with 100 bucks, you'll never be faithful with 100,000. Faithful in the little will be trusted with much. It's a sacrifice. But you got to go in. You have the faith. Well, what if Greg doesn't give the 200,000? What if he gives 125? I'd say that's a good start, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you? I'm sure he'd take a million and two, 1.2 million in, in, in sales or whatever the level of his generosity is. Who's got that faith? Where is your faith? Financially give on Christmas and Easter. Wrong answer. If you want destiny, Jesus has got destiny. You can have the destiny, you can have your own plan, or you can have the Lord's plan. When you come before Him again, this has nothing to do with my Father's Day message, but it's Father is speaking, and so let Father speak. When you come before your Father, because you know why I believe God is pulling on this so hard? It's because He wants to reward His people so desperately. He so eagerly wants to reward you, but He cannot. Well, God can do anything. Oh, Israel, Israel, I wanted to gather you and brood over you as a hen does its chicks, but you would not. Could it be that we're limited, that the blessing and the favor of God is limited in our experience based upon our attitudes and our actions? It's limitless over you, but it's limited through you because of your attitude and your actions. The problem is never with the Lord. The problem is always with us. Always. Just a thought. So sons and daughters were supposed to reel a posture of obedience. And it's, and it's in that obedience. God wants a people of destiny in the earth. You know that? If we have an hour now, the generation of this earth needs a people of destiny. More so than at any other time. There needs to be a rising. There needs to be people of destiny coming up for such a time as this. We need to take our rightful place and be who we are. Basic obedience leads to greater things. God wants destiny. He wants to give destiny. He's a destiny-seeking God. 
Our job is to manifest the will of God. Well, what's the will of God? Well, there's a lot of ways to look at this. I'll give you three simple ones. Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What is his will? Say it with me. On earth as it is in heaven. Everything that God does, say this with me, everything that God does is through divine partnership. He partners from the very beginning. It was a partnership. Right now, it's a partnership. God wants on earth as it is in heaven. What does that mean? Let's just put it where we all, let's just keep it real. Is there poverty in heaven? No. No. Is there sickness in heaven? No. No, no, there's no sickness in heaven. Is there hopelessness in heaven? No. Is there chaos in heaven? No. We are called us to bring forth on earth as it is in heaven. What does that look like? That's the pursuit. How do we do that? That's the pursuit on earth as it is in heaven. We're to continually push in. Everything Jesus did was to reveal the Father on earth as it is in heaven. He healed the sick to show God, to show mankind what the Father was like. That's the whole reason why he healed the sick. He healed the sick to reveal the heart of the Father. He fed the multitudes. Why? To reveal the heart of the Father. That's the whole reason. He healed broken sinners and restored them. Why? To reveal the heart of the Father. Everything Jesus did was to reveal our Father's heart. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. The glory is the only begotten of the Father. Huh? Who is Jesus? He's the glory of the only begotten of the Father. What does that mean? Glory means kavod, weight of goodness. Say it with me. Glory means the weight of goodness. Jesus is the reflection of the weight of God's goodness. That's who He is. Full of grace and truth. We beheld His glory. The weight of God's goodness came in the form of Christ. Full of what? Grace and truth. So what is the weight of His goodness? Spiritual power moving in love. The weight of His goodness is spiritual power moving in love. That's what grace means. Grace is an enabling power that gives us the victory over sin. Grace is an enabling power that enables us to reach our destiny and to reach our future and to become who we cannot be without Him. It's by grace. It's only in the Spirit. These things cannot be obtained without the Holy Spirit. So Jesus is the glory of God's goodness, the weight of our Father's goodness, and, he, and it lies in spirit. Say it with me. Spiritual power moving in love. I must learn, come on, to move in spiritual power and move that power with that power in love. If you can't move with spiritual power moving in love, it's not going to happen. I'm going to come back to you, Greg. God's going to give you a revelation. If you begin to ask him, he's going to show you, how do I get to that goal? Bring me the people, the places, and the things. Show me what I'm missing. Show me what I'm not doing. Show me what I am doing. And bring the people, places, and things around me and show me forward. God will give you an idea that will change the world. He will. God will give you a revelation that will change everything. That's a harmonied word that he heard from the Lord. And he says, I'm going to take that word and I'm going to believe God for it. If God gives you a word, he's empowering you to reach that word. If heaven agrees with that word, he will give you the power to reach where you have agreed with. He will show you. He will give you revelation. The ability for him to execute what God told him does not lie with himself. He does not have the ability to execute that vision. It's far outside of his reach. But God is calling him to partner and God will give him revelation, understanding, and things will just start happening. And it will be this progressive thing that happens. 
and God will bring it to pass. I'm telling you now. This is how this stuff works. This isn't some magic formula. It's a lifestyle. Spiritual power moving in love, and he's full of grace and truth. You know what truth is? Defined absolute. Truth means a defined absolute. <laughs> Jesus is God. And God our Father. And we have a good God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. That is a defined absolute. That is the truth. You say God is God is so good. This is too good to be true. That God has an inheritance for me. Yeah. God has a destiny for me. Yeah, it's too good to be true, but it's so good it is true. Right? Say it with me. God is better than I think. Therefore, I must change the way that I think. Right. Jesus said to them, peace I leave with you. Ready? Say it with me. So here's the idea. As the, Jesus says this. As the Father sent me, so he sends me. Right? So Jesus says, as I've been sent by the Father, so I'm sending you. You get the picture? You know what that means? We have a responsibility. There's something on our life. Jesus has said, as I was sent into the world to reveal the heart of the Father, as that was my purpose and my mission, so now it's yours. Mm-hmm. We have a responsibility. And guess what? It's a mandate upon every believer. It's what we're called to do. We're called to manifest the kingdom. And we will be held accountable to that. You will be held accountable to that. And a lot of Christians are going to go... We didn't know. My pastor never taught me that. That never happened. He won't accept that. He won't suffer that as an excuse. He's going to go, you have the word. Did you read it? You have my spirit. Did you hear it? The pastor is responsible to teach the people the things of the kingdom. A hundred percent. But just because a pastor doesn't teach it or just because a church doesn't teach it, that does not vacate the accountability that's upon the life of every believer. Read what Jesus says. You read the parable of the talents. If you want to sober up, read that. Read the parable of the talents where he committed things and expected a return. He, he, didn't, he didn't tolerate. There was, he did, he did, what he didn't tolerate was cowardice. He, didn't toler, he t- had no tolerance for a lack of effort. If they would have made effort, if that guy, the, the fact that that guy was rebuked so harshly and condemned so harshly was because he made no effort. None. None. No effort. Jesus said you should have at least entrusted it with the stewards. Then I would have had a return. That is a sobering concept. As the Father sends me, so I send you. And then he says, receive the Holy Spirit. So how are we supposed to do that? He just told us. (laughs) As the Father has sent me, so I send you. And then we go, well, how are we supposed to do that? And then he goes, receive the Holy Spirit. There again, it all comes back to the Holy Spirit. Everything comes back to the Holy Spirit. Christianity is spiritual or it is nothing at all. You must learn to partner and commune and engage the Spirit of God. That's how this thing works. That's how the kingdom is manifest. That's how the kingdom is brought forth. The kingdom mandate is upon every believer. It's what he expects and it's what we'll be accountable for. Our calling as sons and daughters is to produce and manifest the kingdom into every sphere of life. Everywhere we go, we're supposed to bring the dominion of God. Where's heaven? What does God want for my family? What does the kingdom want for my family? What does kingdom want for my personal life? What does kingdom want for my, for my finances? What does king, pick, pick a sphere. Your family, your faith, your finances, your friendships, and your future. Those are the five areas of life that every one of us manages. We have five areas of our life that, that that's basically the handful of areas that every person has to manage are those. 
And what does God want in those arenas? Okay, so here we go, right? You guys still with me? Are we with me? All right, you with me? One person. Hadassah's with me. So that's all I need. That's, that's good. I'm almost done. So we're supposed to pursue the... And we're supposed... Ready? This, you're going to like this one. Say it. It is my responsibility. It is my obligation to pursue and activate favor and blessing. He expects it. He's given it to you. He expects you to activate it. You got a verse for that? I've got plenty. Arise, shine, for your light has come. The glory of the Lord is upon you. Get up. The glory is on you. Arise and shine. Behold, darkness covers the earth. Can I get a witness? Deep darkness covers all the people. Can I get a witness? But the Lord arises upon you. And His glory will be seen upon you. The non-believers will be drawn to your light. And the King shall come to the brightness of your rising. If anybody needs the sons and daughters of God in this hour, we do. We do. Jesus is the answer. And God says the darkness covers the land and everybody's under darkness. That should not be our message. Our message is hope in Christ Jesus. Light at the end of the tunnel. There is a word in the hour. That needs to be our message. And then God says this. They're praying. This is Psalm 67. It says, be merciful to us and, cause, and, and bless us and cause your face to shine on us that your ways may be known in the earth and your salvation may be known to all nations. They're praying. This is interesting. The way it's worded is not the way it's worded in the Hebrew. The word merciful in the Hebrew is the word kawan and it means favor. And it's a double directive. It means that they're not asking for it. It means it's being spoken upon them. Big difference. Oh Lord, be merciful. It's not the word mercy, it's favor. In the, the structure is a double directive, which means it's being said directly to them. God's favor be upon you. Oh God, be merciful to me, oh Lord. The favor of the Lord be upon you. The favor of the Lord be upon you. It means to be directly placed upon. The word blessing means to be saluted in adoration. The Lord's blessing and favor. May the Lord salute you in adoration. And it means, and it means something sustainable. It means something that perpetuates. The blessing of God keeps going on and on and on. Why do we need to demonstrate favor? And why do we need to demonstrate blessing? Why does that even matter in our lives? It matters because the, the Bible says that when that happens, the ways of the Lord are known on the earth. And salvation comes to the nations. When God's people operate in favor and God's people operate in blessing, that's what the scripture says. It says God's ways become known. They know that there's a father that takes care of his people. There's a father who blesses his sons and daughters. They know that there's a God in heaven that's over the lives of this group of people because no matter what happens to them, they go through it. A thousand falls by my side and 10,000 at my right hand, but God sustains them. Everybody else is getting wiped out, but these people stand in the midst of adversity. These people do nothing. They go down, but they get right back up. It's like they got this bounce to them. It's important that we pursue blessing and we pursue favor. We cause His face to shine upon us. Ready for this one? There's a joy center in your baby's brain. You know that? You're all born with it. Anybody got any babies here? Any babies recently? 
Yeah? When you coo over that baby, the baby starts smiling back at you. Isn't it? Hey? Because you're activating the joy center in the baby's brain because your face is shining upon it. That's why Christians don't have any joy. Because they don't see their father's face shining upon them. Huh? Oh, come on. I'm telling you now. Your father's face is shining upon you. You cannot not now nor ever disappoint the one who did, whom you did not appoint. He's always in a good mood and he's always happy to see you. I mean, you get happy about something. Jesus is for you. The world doesn't like you. Everything's going sideways. It's all crazy. But Jesus loves me and upon that I will rest. In that he is always glad to see me. Always. Isaiah 54, I will be angry with you no more. Isaiah chapter 54 is an extension of Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53, the prophet is prophesying the death of Christ. Hanging on a cross, wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. Goes through the whole passage. It continues over into chapter 54. And the Lord says, this is as the waters of Noah to me. What? is as the waters of Noah to him. The crucifixion of the Son of God is as the waters of Noah to me. For as I swore in, my, in, in the days of Noah that I would not flood the earth again, so I swear by this act that I will be angry with you no more. If you're in Christ, He's angry with you no more. You don't know what I did last night. It doesn't matter. He's angry with you no more. Sin does not condemn you. Sin disqualifies you, but it doesn't condemn you. Just a fact. Need to get happy. Need to go, why do I have no joy? Well, it's because you don't know that your father's face is beaming upon you. His face is shining on you. It is. Today, in this hour, called to produce the kingdom. We're called to activate our inheritance so that the world may know our father. Last but not least, what is the Lord's will? What is the will of our father? 2 Peter 3 says, The Lord is not slack concerning His promises, as some count slackness. But He's long-suffering, not winning that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. It's the will of our God that no one, no one die. It's the will of our God that no one be lost. The Bible says this, apart from Christ in the book of Ephesians, it says, Without Christ, you are by nature a child of wrath. Judgment is on you. You're not a child of God. You're a child of wrath. Judgment overhangs you. Judgment of what? Judgment of sin. The inherited sin that all of us are born with. The only person that can do anything about that sin is Jesus. And apart from Jesus, judgment hangs over you. Inconvenient truth. Ephesians chapter 2. Carrying out the desires of our body and our flesh and our minds are by nature children of wrath. Like the rest of mankind, all fall under the sway of sin. It's God's will. This word is for those watching by stream, whether by now or sometime in the future. Don't get up. This word is for you. Stay right where you are. Without Christ, you are hopeless and you are helpless. The Bible says unless a person is born again, they cannot enter or see the kingdom of heaven. Hopeless and helpless. Every single person on the earth is born in sin. The Bible tells us that because we are born in sin, we are born separated. We are spiritually dead in in trespasses, in sins. And we are separated from God. We're separated from the true knowledge of God. And we're separated from eternity. We will be eternal, but we will not go where He is. All have sinned 
and fallen short of the glory of God. The Bible says that the wages of that sin is death. That word death means separation. Where God is, there is life. Where God is not, there is no life. Jesus called the place of separation Gehenna, called the place of burning. We would translate it hell. Say God's putting people in hell. Man can blame a lot of people for putting them in hell, but they won't be Jesus. Jesus has done everything he can to get the judgment off of you. And now you've got to come to terms with that fact if you don't know the Lord. You can't save yourself. It's impossible. That's why Christ came, to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. The wages of sin, what we all have over us apart from Christ, is eternal judgment. But the gift of God is life in Christ Jesus. The gift of God is forgiveness. Forgiveness. You say, how do I get forgiveness? The Bible says if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and that he's risen from the dead, you'll be saved. See, that sounds pretty simple. It costs somebody a lot of effort to make that happen. Every Christian has to come to Christ the same way. We're not Christians because we occupy a chair in a church. We're Christians because Christ occupies a space in our heart. Christ occupies the fullness of the space within our heart. Jesus said, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone will open unto me, I will come in and I will meet one with him. He'll come into your heart through this prayer. He'll come into your heart and he will forgive you. He is who he says he is and he will do what he has promised to do. He's going to make everything new. The wages of sin will be lifted off of you and the gift of eternal life will be bestowed upon you. People say all the time, how do we know that Jesus is who he says he is? The number one testimony of all believers is that Christ lives in us. It is an unexplainable reality that happens when you receive Jesus. His spirit comes and lives in you. Old things pass away. Behold, all things become new. Is everything perfect? By no means. But you now have potential that you didn't have before. You now have forgiveness and eternal life, but you have a full benefit package on top of that. Who wouldn't want that deal? Wait, there's more. So we're going to pray together. And if you're watching at home, and I don't care if it's 2025, and you're watching at home, that's the beauty of the Internet. It goes on eternally. We want you to believe in your heart, and we want you to pray this prayer with us. If you're watching this with other people, and there's Christians in the room, but you're not, I want the Christian. Everybody that's watching this, just humble your heart and pray. And we're going to pray together, because that's what we do. So we're going to pray. Just say, Dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Savior. And I need a Savior. I may not understand this, but I choose to believe it. And so I open my heart to you, Jesus. And I ask you to come inside. I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to heal me. I ask you to restore me. And I ask you to repurpose my life. All that I am, I give to you. In all that you are, I receive as mine. From this day forward, I choose to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you did that, send an email at Elevate Miami Church. You say, is that it? That's the start of it. You need a church. You need to grow. You need to become. There's so much more. Send us an email at Elevate Miami Church at Gmail. We'd love to connect with you. Let's just be encouraged by you that we could encourage you back as well. And so we'll bless you one more time. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine down upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you in every way. And may you forever live within his favor in Jesus' name. Amen. God loves you. Come on. God loves you. We love you.